I grew up like reading Pitchfork, like oh, yes. early Pitchfork. <laughs> and like that was the only Japanese music they talked about, right? It was like Cornelius, yes. uh, okay, Pizzicato so... 5, Shibuya K. So like. So we're, we, okay, we have, if we're not like exactly the same age, then I think we we come from the same sort we're of in the school same zone, of, the school so... of like Cool Japan Zone. Do you remember like yeah, yeah. Buffalo Daughter and. Um... Oh, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> like. No, I remember all of that stuff. And even kind of also, yeah, kind of coming back to them just as the years went on, whether it was kind of like trying to learn more or eventually coming here and, you know, writing about all of it, you sort of get the context more and more. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of interesting because I feel like this whole cool Japan thing has been completely erased from any kind of (laughs) public consciousness over here. And I don't know if it's just a testament to how sort of weak the cool Japan movement really was or if it's more just, you know, how poor arts criticism is now where they just if it didn't happen yesterday no one knows about it um yeah i'm not sure what happened there you can you can ask any of this and i could just start going off on tangent (laughs) so just like choose your spots where you want me to go and because it's a little from column a a little from column b for sure choose my own adventure story um okay well (laughs) well, why don't we why don't we get right into it because i could also probably talk about this for you know a you know a, a while um and yeah do you want to pick a song to start off with i think the best place we can start tonight is with a song that turned 10 years old this year uh kaori pomi pomi's pom pom pong a pivotal moment for j-pop at home and abroad i'm gonna slot that in right here That that actually is a favorite of my little nieces. I've made them some J-pop songs, CDs to listen to, like in the the car. And uh, Carrie Pemu Pemu is a huge hit with the under fives in 2021. Oh, that's good to hear. I'm glad her her legacy is carrying on with with people of all ages, really. But I remember my that was one of the first artists. When was that? So I was 2011. I had moved to Japan in 2009 and I'd been like blogging and writing a few things over that two year span. And my mom, who is very loving and read everything I wrote, despite not knowing a single thing that I'm talking about. That was one of the first songs she was like, oh, that's really colorful and interesting rather than a like, oh, that was neat that you wrote about that. So <laughs> it, it, it really does have 
an ability to sort of like break through any like hesitancy people have about j-pop or anything that's not like english language yeah you can i don't know i feel like there's there's something about kind of the nonsense lyrics which are nonsense in english and in japanese some of it you know um i mean some of the wordplay and stuff gets lost but um before we get too deep let me just introduce myself um you know welcome to my podcast welcome to the idol cast and i have a special guest with me today who you've just heard speak quite knowledgeably about everyone's my favorite <laughs> about his mom <laughs> and everyone's favorite superstar carrie pammy pamu um, would you like to introduce yourself yeah thank you so much for having me i am patrick st michelle i am a writer based in tokyo I run a music blog slash, I guess now it's a newsletter, because uh, I'm on top of media trends, uh, called Make Believe Melodies. And I also write articles primarily about Japanese music, uh, both from J-pop down to sort of like emerging indie acts for publications like the Japan Times, uh, Bandcamp Daily. My work has appeared in Pitchfork, The Atlantic, just a variety of places over the year I don't even remember at this point I just like always moving forward as a freelancer uh yeah that's my background and thank you again for having me oh yeah no I'm I'm really excited uh to talk about all this stuff because your post on um the AKB 48ification of the pop charts just sort of captures everything I've been yelling about for the last couple of years and I've been sending it around to everyone who's sort of complaining about how uh, you know, like, why is BTS and Butter, like, on the top of the charts when literally no one has heard the song before? Um, how is it the biggest song in the country? Well, you know, here you go. Okay, this actually is something I want to ask you as somebody living yeah, sure. in the States. What is your exposure to Butter? How prevalent is it in, I don't want to say daily life, but, right. like, just tell me, like, as somebody, I have been back to America in two years now. Yeah. Uh, you can guess why. And I'm just curious, yeah, because from here, the Japanese media, you know, obviously presents it as this sort of very big achievement. And, you know, when you look at data and chart rankings, it is. But I've always just been curious what it actually is like for people. Like, do you hear butter places? Well, I'll tell you where I hear butter. It is when my two-year-old niece um, demands that we play butter. Um, which actually hasn't been all that often since the summer when she was like really into it. Um, I mean, it's it's not, you know, unless you have kids, I don't think you really, or, you know, you know someone who's a BTS fan. You're not like, this isn't a song that's on the radio. It's not, you know, it's, it's nothing. I um, mean, it was the same with Dynamite uh, last year too. Like I listened as sort of a test because I kept seeing all this press coverage and I was like what 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 is going on here and um I listened to the top 40 station which I don't usually do um when I was just driving around and and I think I I listened for like a whole month and I don't think I heard dynamite once and this is when it was like the number one song on the billboard chart so I'm like you know what do these numbers actually mean exactly I mean that's that brings it all back to sort of the AKB 48s prime days uh really 10 years ago to sort of bring it back to the oh, song yeah, i chose yeah, yeah. In the beginning i don't know how like closely you were following sort of english language and even japanese media writing like back then but the thing that's always like stuck with me and what kind of makes me so vocal about the idea of everything is akb 48 now 
is like J-pop was treated as like a leper in the like global pop conversation. People would look at AKB48, um, especially the sales strategy, which um, for anyone who doesn't know who's listening to this podcast, uh, it's kind of was emphasizing selling a lot to a select group of hardcore fans rather than trying to be like a everybody in the country knows what this is and they are buying the singles yeah and if i can kind of break in like i i have a little translated news article on my site um because there was that infamous news story a few years ago where an akb48 fan got arrested for sort of mass dumping i think it was something Mm -hmm. like 500 cds like in the woods <laughs> yeah like... i feel every year there's actually like that became like a media tradition yeah it was kind of like let's find the akb fan who's going to discard their box of cds <laughs> somewhere in nature this year it's a mountain next year it's the yeah the forest will next year be the beach like let's find out <laughs> but i think it's a real testament to how you know what this sales strategy is and the fact that i think that these stories do kind of trend nationwide I, I think it really shows that everyone is aware that akb48 yeah they sold you know what a million cds but that's like a million CDs sold to like 1,000 people. Something that's always stuck with me, and it's an argument many people at the time made, many other writers on Japanese culture, both Japanese and in English, is AKB48 were always topping the Oricon charts, the, for a while there, most trusted ranking system in the, the Japanese entertainment industry. And, you know, they were always doing it with over a million copies sold. But save for a select few singles that sort of broke through to national mainstream consciousness, like, you would never hear these songs out in public. Like, I would go to Shibuya, for example. You'd walk around, you'd hear Kyari Pami Pamyu playing over the street speaker systems. You'd hear Perfume. Here, like later on, like a Hoshino Gen or something. But you didn't hear AKB48's Labrador Retriever playing anywhere. You didn't hear like Uza blasting out of anywhere, despite it being a fantastic song. I'll Go to go to bat for that one anytime. so nostalgic <laughs> because I yeah like because yeah because I would watch um I, you know I've watched music station religiously for you know like decades and um yeah so I you know I know all these songs like I you see them sort of pop up like filter through the um you know 
they'd come on for the week and then go away. And then you just never hear about that song ever again. The added dimension of it was it was such a fans only enterprise. Um, Because AKB48 really didn't care if people were, if every student in the country knew what River was or whatever single came out at the time. It was just all about making sure that the base, the fans were, you know, happy and were going to support the group. Um, I mean, that goes back to their whole like origin story, right? The whole right, idols, the idols, idols you, you can, can meet. meet. Yeah. Well, and I think with AKB that I think the other comparison you can draw to sort of what's happening in the sort of U.S. pop charts now is the gamification of it, too where it wasn't that AKB48 fans were necessarily competing against, like, you know, Morning Musume or whatever, like how, you know, you have the K-pop fans competing against, you know, Ariana Grande fans, but you did have them competing against each other. You know, they would want their favorite girl to get the center spot in the next CD, and so there would be that gamification aspect to to it that I think is also present in the U.S. charts today. And that's a good segue just for anyone who doesn't know about this. You know, the other important thing is, and this applies to a lot of music around the world today, uh, what people buy isn't necessarily the song or the album anymore. It's, it's beyond going that sort of supporting the group, supporting your favorite. You can also get things from purchasing a digital download, a physical single, what have you. And this was AKB48's sort of biggest, at least what the media kind of focused on the most. Uh, Most famously every year, AKB48 had the Senbatsu, the general election, where, I mean, it's it's literally democracy gone mad. We're probably (laughs) heading that way, but... I'm really surprised that K-pop hasn't pick this up actually i'm really surprised they haven't sort of adopted this it's, it is surprising i feel it would just be so because maybe it's the one difference is it's just so like my image of k-pop is you know as competitive as it is trying to be like oh look we made history oh we're better than the, the ariana grande fans or we're better than the twice fans like i still think there's this idea of trying to have inner group harmony uh, whereas, like, with AKB48, people kind of knew the ecosystem, and there's plenty of drama within there. I mean, you could probably do, you could probably write a book just about Senbatsu and the various, like, weird dramas that played out over it in, like, a decade. But it was never, like, I don't think it ever got too intense. Whereas with K-pop, Here's some insider info. Like, I've been told by, you know, people who interact with K-pop groups in media or other sort of media platforms. It's like the companies themselves are so focused on making sure every member gets the same amount of attention in interviews. It's it's like they don't want anyone to look necessarily more important or better than the others. And I think that's what would hold back a concept like this. That's really wild. I know. I right? had no idea. Yeah, yeah. I found this out <laughs> recently. Like, What's the... <laughs> that's crazy. That's like the complete opposite of what you would want, I think. And I guess I'll, I'll, I'll sort of put a safety net under that and say that was just sure. one editor telling me that. But I have a, I have a feeling that's true across 
the industry. That's really different. And yeah. I don't know, that's not really worth getting into, but I feel like that's changed in the last like <laughs> five years because, um, you know, if you look at a group like Big Bang, you know, that's, they're all like five or four, uh, you know, just solo guys essentially in a group. And I think, yeah, I don't know. I feel like that's changed. Yeah, yeah, K-pop has changed a lot in the last. I mean, that's a whole. So. That's a whole. That's a whole different topic. To but, down. but I was thinking, like, you know, how you said uh, J-pop was kind of sort of treated as sort of garbage music by um, sort of global critics about ten years ago. But I think, like, when you look at what uh, like K-pop at that time, and they had that whole boom of like crayon pop, and you had Big Bang and Tiara and all these groups that were like really cool. And I think, yeah, when you looked at J-pop, you were like, oh, there's AKB48 and RSE. Not as cool. <laughs> you know? And it's kind of another, you know, hint at where the future would go. Everyone just focused on, you know, data. They focused on numbers of singles sold. They focused on number ones achieved in a row. They looked at numbers primarily and didn't consider the context, which, you know, for non-Japan-based media, non-Japanese media, you might miss that if you're not really going deep into it. But, yeah, it ended up being, oh, this group is clearly the biggest thing in Japan, so we must compare them to everything, even though that wasn't totally fair. And and when you compare an AKB48 to a, I would like the one that success me is 21. That was the one. Oh yeah, everybody yeah. was kind of like even, guess, they were so cool. Yeah, yeah, or even Girls Generation. Yeah. And like it was something the Japanese media did like frequently too. Um, when was it that it was the year that Girls Generation released their first Japanese album? Oh, that was like the tw- that was like 2010 or. 2011 somewhere maybe in there. 2011 because i remember going yeah. to they had a music festival in tokyo and i want to say they had idols j-pop idols performing during the day but like the big night event was uh girls generation doing a special like fest closing thing and yeah it was like seeing them in the same space was really like oh okay i do understand why people are <laughs> Like, they will draw these comparisons. focusing just on the sort of AKB, AKB48 corner of J-pop and then comparing it to what was really taking off with K-pop. 
it's a natural thing to be kind of like, yeah, what's the disconnect here? But I also think it's a little like shallow is how I'd always look at the way the media approaches yeah, well, it. I've, I've been long frustrated with how uh, idle idol culture and idol music and all this stuff has been treated by the media anyway i feel like there's there's a lot of kind of willful ignorance and um you know i i don't know i I mean i think sometimes especially in english language stuff that's it's yeah it's treated either like it's not important enough to take seriously but it is but we'll use it as like sensation fodder um without bothering to dig deeper or um or it's on the the flip side, I think, which is kind of where we're headed now, is that this sort of overly poptimist thing where it's all treated like extremely important, the greatest music of all time because it hit number one. When I'm like, well, you know, <laughs> like it's it's okay to have a dumb pop song, like it's yeah, yeah. you know, it's just pop music, like it's not gonna change the world like we're not wild stallion in bill and ted's excellent adventure like let's let's take like 20 steps back here you know there has to be something in the middle where we're not dismissing it as like worthless but we're also not you know deifying the number one act on the chart as like kings of the universe it's like you're 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 delivering my inner monologue on a daily basis I knew you were a kindred spirit. I knew it. (laughs) (laughs) That's why we're here today. It's like the old timers in the corner of the bar telling telling old war stories. (laughs) Old people people yell at Cloud and speak about the Pizzicato Five. (laughs) (laughs) But you are like, that is exactly though why I think it's so interesting to look back on AKB in particular, though really the entirety of J-pop idoldom and even earlier k-pop idols Mm, like it's funny seeing how like you know bts is treated as like you know this is the most important thing in the world and obviously plenty of success legitimately historic etc etc but they're idols and they're doing things that are very like like akb48 was doing in terms of sort of marketing and distribution and i mean and it's not just them. That's just one example. Right, but they're, they're kind of the loudest example at the moment, which is why, you know, there's so much, I feel like why it's worth focusing on them just because there is so much media. And I think, you know, a lot of this attention too, you know, it's coming from outlets and from writers that don't necessarily know a lot about, you know, A, Asian pop music, but also like be like music and music history in general. Mm-hmm. So you get these sort of weird ahistorical takes that, you know, you read them through and you're like, well, wait a minute. <laughs> There's like 20 other groups that were doing this like five years ago. Like, how is this groundbreaking now? It's very, it's, it's kind of crazy making in a way. Yeah, that's ultimately just the sort of, I guess, the tyranny of now. And it really does apply to a lot of mains not even mainstream just all all across the board music journalism i mean like it's not even a music journalism problem it's a journalism full stop problem like we could take this conversation to political reporting or like economics but it is a lot of like yeah you know this is the most important thing ever right now whether that's bts's collaboration with coldplay like what does this mean why is this vital 
Yeah, like cetera, who cares? Like you know, Coldplay. You know, like what? Where? Are, I don't know. Like it's yeah, the sort of breathless coverage when you're, and then you listen to the song and you're like, really? <laughs> like, oh wow! It's all a, of this hype over this. Well, um, yeah. I mean, but... Yellow was. I remember. I remember buying that first Coldplay like album, like on CD, uh-huh. and really enjoying it. Oh, I can up that. I remember my (laughs) dad buying it and playing it nonstop (laughs) while he was driving around. And it's a totally unexpected album. It's good. That's a good album. Coldplay, great. And so like the 2010s, my Mm. argument. Um, Mm. It's a whole, uh, what is it? Well, that, I feel Scientist, like the 2010s, right? that's when every rock band, sort of every mainstream English language rock band became Imagine Dragons. Oh, Imagine Dragons? The Imagine Dragons the years? Imagined, well, it's still the Imagine Dragons years. Every rock yeah. band is either became Maroon 5 or Imagine Dragons. I'm trying to... The way I kind of like... It's, it's so weird trying to think of um, the American rock and pop scene from oh, I, that's... a living in Japan perspective oh, because for me I'm it's so always jealous. just so filtered through festivals yeah and like you know the headliner is always like Metallica or Red Hot Chili Peppers <laughs> these really legacy oh, acts Red, Red Chili Red Chili, Red Chili. <laughs> Red Chili. I remember the first the same year as that Girls Generation show actually I don't know, Red Hot Chili Peppers were headlining and so that made for a real like mind melting crowd because you had like shirtless like tatted up bros yeah who had just come from red hot chili peppers watching girls generation and kind of being in awe of it yeah so like it was great red hot chili love you guys um <laughs> yeah, yeah like imagine dragons like the 1975 is something they've been trying to oh, push in Japan. Yeah. yeah yeah uh yeah it's just for me it's so and it, i always kind of am like it's why I kind of asked you about butter at the start is because to me, it's like, I don't know what's happening in America anymore. I feel yeah. like it's a whole nother planet for me. Well, a lot of the, I mean, I, I just feel like in America, what's happened is that mainstream culture has just collapsed. And so mm-hmm. when you talk about mainstream music culture, there really isn't one. And so there will be like a handful of songs that kind of break through that everyone knows, like, um, uh, I don't know, like like WAP, <laughs> just, like WAP last year, right? Yeah, like, yeah, that's a fair one. You know, but for the most part, I think most people are, are you know, if they're into music, it's their own subculture. Um, so it's like people listen to country or they listen to Latin or, you know, they'll be really into, you know, um, sort of whatever niche that they're into. But there's no real overarching music mm-hmm. culture anymore, especially not rock. Like rock is dead. Yeah, yeah. Like, I mean, rock it's... is just dead, which is, I mean, and I love rock, which is one of the reasons why um, I, I still, like, I love going into um, Tower Records in um, Shibuya and just wandering through all the little listening stations. It's, like, such a treat for me because you can't do that here. And, um, you know, listening to whatever, like, Shima Kitazawa, like, you know, garage band is uh, putting out. <laughs>
right. You just walk into some live house in Coenji and be like, okay, cool. Let me go to the merch table, you know? Yeah, like if if there was a venue like the UFO Club or something here, I'd be there like every weekend. Like it's great. Um, but yeah, like that music is rock is alive in Japan in a way that it's just not here. It's not you. No one is making rock music. Yeah, it's and this is something that recently I've you know it's been a big topic of discussion just because if you compare where j-pop is at today and i know we're kind of like jumping ahead from talking about ak-48 no no this is we're we're free-flowing here at the idol cast we talk about everything free-flowing conversation and yeah like you know 10 years ago all of j-pop was so like you know you had akb 48 you had sort of Arashi was still around. That was kind of them still sort of flexing their dominance. Um, and you even had stuff like Kari Pamu Pamu, the sort of bright, cheerful Harajuku channeling, quote unquote, kawaii pop. And then even stuff like baby metal, which is just sort of, you know, quirky, if you want to use that word, but like really kind of oddball that's still rocks it's a little different but Um, well then there's like momo like momo Yuta clover said yeah 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 yeah. but whereas like today it's so i mean it's it's definitely still rock centric but it's a very different mood too which is surprising and i find that the combination of rock being so central to what's popular in j-pop coupled with a very like sort of like uh I just call it gloomy or just downer are the adjectives I gravitate towards. Like it's so out of step with where I see the rest of the world, at least from kind of the digital perch I'm at, which maybe is not a fair representation of pop music. But, and I actually think it's one of the strengths of J-pop right now is it offers an actual alternative than what you hear from other corners of the world where it's more like flattened almost. Yeah, what's that that whole like globalization thing, which I mean, you know, America has been pushing for, you know, 50 years and uh, and Korea has really started pushing their kind of global, global pop, um, I think much to the detriment of Korean pop music. But um, yeah, it does. It does. You know, you end up kind of samey, samey sounding. Whereas, yeah, like a song like um, like I really enjoyed you had that post on Ado's um like you know where um you know where else are you gonna hear a song like you know ado singing like never you know only in japan like there's only one place making a song like that yeah and again it's to sort of like think about it in the lens of just where Japanese pop culture and arguably Japan as a country has just been over the past 10 years. I just feel like Japan, it's not advanced. That's the wrong word. Mm. You're at like the cutting edge of where capitalism is going ahead of everyone else. Maybe just because of how the bubble was so like extravagant. And then when it popped, everything kind of like, I'm making a very dramatic hand gesture right now to signify it went down. <laughs> Sorry, listeners. <laughs> I mean, I feel like, yeah, like I've, I've seen this argument in the Financial Times um, recently, you know, not necessarily about Ado, but um, right. yeah, yeah. I think there was a big article on Hikikomori 
and uh, yeah, 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 yeah. in the Financial Times recently. But um, yeah, like uh, Japan is certainly ahead of the curve that way, right. I think. So I do think I wouldn't be surprised to see in five years the sort of American version of Otto, who's kind of like really kind of like pushing this sort of our generation got the short end of the stick and like I'm going to like spit vocal acid at you and also like scream a lot. Yeah. I mean, it's probably already bubbling up, honestly. Well, I I think the difference is that there's, and I think what would make somebody like Otto emerging here hard is that there is like the, the distribution is just collapsed. There's no more, there's no, there's no central hub like where you know somebody like when so like when Gangnam Style went kind of viral um all those you know like a decade ago I mean that that kind of bubbled up and then it circulated through sort of these mainstream news channels and these sort of tastemakers but I think that just doesn't we're everything is so fragmented now I think it would be hard to have kind of a mainstream hit like that um again like I don't know if you would see it I think I think that something like I think the music distribution would have to completely collapse and like rebuild itself to to have someone like Otto kind of bubble up and sort of you know permeate permeate culture I mean that's a totally fair point and it is I think worth mentioning with Otto or uh, the other group I would point to is kind of representing this really well Yoasobi. Oh who, yes. Who, oh, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Did you hear that first take version that she did? Oh the of uh, Yoroni Kakeru. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That one Exactly. I do think both of those acts have actually benefited quite a bit from the current state of the world. Um, just the pandemic kind of forcing everyone in Japan 
to actually get more online. Mm. Uh, I do think to some degree, auto, auto in particular, Yoasobi, I could kind of see maybe a longer term way of them becoming where they're at now, where they're like probably one of the top five to just be fair, like five biggest acts in the country right now. They've just become so influential and omnipresent. Whereas Otto, I think, is kind of like a, she really was benefited by the pandemic shifting all listening to online. Because like you said, you know, it's so hard for a, maybe not mainstream, but sort of something that permeates all culture via distribution to emerge. But when everyone's kind of stuck at home watching YouTube, TikTok, and like maybe flipping through Spotify or their preferred subscription streaming platform of choice, like they're more likely to encounter it. And then... Yeah. Well, that's... I mean, so with with TikTok, right? And, And maybe this is something else that's, you know, really been pushed along by the pandemic, but... The whole city pop boom, like via TikTok, is oh. <laughs> really weird and like <laughs> huge understatement. <laughs> yeah, it's so strange, and um, yeah, like I, it, I mean, there's zero presence of it like in real life, but um, like online, in I don't know, like it's weird seeing, you know, after like years of like, oh, no one cares about sort of these this 80s and 70s 80s 90s music mm-hmm. um and like i'm the only one listening to you know saijo hideki like mm-hmm. all of a sudden like oh wait people know who saijo hideki is <laughs> like it's just very strange um yeah like what's what is the or do you have like any sense of what the sort of domestic impression of, of like this western interest in this old music is like it's just i don't know such a weird phenomenon Oh, it's definitely, it's very, um, it caught a lot of people off guard. I can, I'm trying to remember the earliest days I would have noticed it. City pop is always kind of like a thing in the Japanese music ecosystem. Um, there's well, lots I mean, of like... Yamashita Tatsuro is like still making bangers oh, right. for like, he, he just did a song... I saw it's on the track list for Kimura Takia's like upcoming solo album. There's like yeah, yeah. three songs written by like Yamasa Tatsura. And he had one, he had like a song with Arashi like a couple years ago. Like he's still making music.
Oh, exactly. I mean, and to even really fine tune it, like he has a weekly radio show that people have loved for like decades. <laughs> like he's this city pop kind of idea, even if people weren't necessarily calling it city pop, like it's always in the air and there's artists always kind of playing around with it. There definitely was interest in like the early 2010s. I remember you started to see the idea of like bubble era Japan becoming a point of interest for non-Japanese creators, mostly in sort of like indie and really internet subgenres of electronic music. And you would, Japanese artists who follow these kind of trends internationally in internet music in particular could like started seeing like, oh, that's weird. They're like inspired by the things from my childhood that I didn't find like central to what I'm doing. And then you start getting, there's lots of people who just, as tourism in particular was picking up. I mean, I even just met some of these people and like TV shows would cover them. It's like people who are just <laughs> going to record stores and being like, oh, it's uh, Maria Takeuchi's uh, Variety. And like, <laughs> at the time, it was an album you could find for like, like 800 yen, set mm. or something. Like, yeah. these are not... Um, these are not rare records for like Japan, but they were starting to become like Discogs gold. And I remember there was one TV show. I don't know if you know, I forget the entire name of it. It's the one where they interview uh, tourists. At, oh, like, that I was interviewed for them actually. Oh, the, like really? the you, yeah. like what are you doing in Japan? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was there to see ABCZ uh, do a oh, concert okay. and. <laughs> They were not all that interested. Oh, you should have been, been looking for Yuming records at Jetsa. <laughs> you would have been sad. Uh, but yeah, them. Like I remember they did several episodes that was like following people around as they like, yeah, we're trying to find. It was Onuki Taiko's Sun Shower. And then he, the dude they profiled eventually came back and you kind of like, they designated him as, oh, this person's important for our show's history. So they like made it so he could meet Taiko Onuki. What? And like, it became a big thing on the oh, internet. That's crazy. And that was actually the first time I remember it being on Twitter that people were like, why are like non-Japanese people into this stuff? <laughs> These people seem obsessed with this old music. And so funny. yeah, well, I when I God, it must have been 2013, 2014. I I was in Kyoto and um, I was, you know, record shopping and I, I pulled like, I mean, <laughs> it wasn't like a foot tall, but I mean, a big stack of like Sawada Kenji 45s. Yeah. <laughs> and the woman like at the at the counter just you know, was looking at me like, what you're, what are you doing? Like, why do you want these Sawada Kenji 45s? <laughs> and, 
but I feel sigh, like... <laughs> going, they, they bring all this up like oh here we go again it's like damn foreigners <laughs> pulling out like these jewel julie like <laughs> you know <laughs> like do you really need 10 copies of tokyo like i don't think so lady but um you know but but yeah that was like you know almost 10 years ago and i'm sure it's just picked up since then um, it's just funny, yeah, all this stuff that I thought I was the only one interested in, and then all of a sudden, like, here are all these, like, tweens who were, like, really into, like, yeah, like, Yamashita Tatsuro, like, whoa. Yeah. yeah. And then what's really changed in the last, I would say, year and a half um, with, this is from TikTok directly, you know, everybody saw the Plastic Love YouTube phenomenon, mm, that yeah. was kind of. For anyone who wasn't following this sort of online city pop boom, that totally like made everyone realize like, oh, 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 okay. Um, but last year there was that TikTok trend that was centered around the 1979 debut single from Miki Matsubara, uh, Mayonaka no Door slash Stay With Me, which became a like challenge on TikTok because teens would ask their like Japanese mothers if they knew this song and then the moms would like suddenly start singing it heartwarming stuff <laughs> adorable like it turned that song into this like really like huge Spotify success I remember it topping the viral chart in like America UK uh, just all kinds of other countries where Japanese music doesn't do that well and <laughs> labels and TikTok themselves I've been told also saw that and they've kind of doubled down so it's the wrong word but they've been like okay yeah city pop is what we need to be pushing like forget current music necessarily mm. we need to be making more like i don't know meme dances out of city pop songs but yeah i guess it's in a way it's kind of cheap content because it already exists and this is music that most people outside of japan are it is new to them. You exactly. Know, yeah. These people have heard it. Yeah, it so it is thing. cheap content. It's all just sitting there in the vaults. And critical critical to that is just one of the biggest changes in how the Japanese music industry functions over the past 10 years. Like, labels aren't afraid of the internet anymore. Mm. They are actually kind of all in on it for the most part, give or take a few. Tatsuro Yamashita being a really good example. <laughs> but... You can actually access so much Japanese music now, which was like unthinkable a decade ago, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. Well, yeah. And I have the, you know, CD Japan. You have this. You, you receipts have the to jewel show cases. for it. <laughs> yeah. I have the jewel cases to show for it. Because <laughs> I think I do actually. I've got like some, you know, like I've got a human like CD and um, that I ordered like special. And um, yeah, now I, I could just dial it up online. Yeah. So that I think really has just changed what's possible. And I'm curious to see if they eventually come around to being like, oh, interesting, we could apply this to our current day hits and maybe be more contemporary on the world stage. But recently, for sure, like city, the city pop thing online and overseas has totally captured the attention of these major labels. And they're all trying to figure out how they can sort of take advantage of it. Yeah, it's it is interesting, and I I wonder too if because um, I think I think you had a post on this too, which I, I thought was interesting. Um, you know, the idea that part of what makes sort of J-pop and Japanese music different for an outsider coming in is that they're not exporting it to us necessarily. You got to go in and dig around 
and find it. And um, I mean, in, in some ways, I think that's bad just in that you know, a lot of what comes to us then is self-selected by like weirdos like me, you know, who is <laughs> like, you know, walking around with, with stacks of Sawada Kenji 45s. But then, and I think, but I think it's good in the other way that I, that somebody like me can go in and dive around and just find what, what I think is interesting. And um, it's not necessarily like with K-pop, you know, I'm not being forced to listen to Butter. I can go in and listen to, you know, Saijo Hideki instead. Um, but yeah, it's it's got a little bit more cachet, I think, in that it's not getting exported to us directly because it is a little bit less accessible. I think that makes it a little bit more desirable. I don't know. Oh, no, absolutely. Yeah. Like, I think one of the issues when talking about, and I think this is a big failing of a lot of modern music and entertainment writing, honestly, in terms of looking at how non-English media travels abroad is, and I get it to a degree, you want the most clicks possible. Um, journalism, dying industry, uh, be careful out there, everyone. But one of the big problems is it ends up like, you end up just being like the biggest thing is your benchmark. And you're just missing so much interesting stuff underneath. BTS are the most historic K-pop slash Asian music group of all time. Let's establish that. Don't get angry at us. But at the same time, by only really focusing on them and, and like Blackpink, those are the two acts from K-pop that I think suck up the most media attention. Like you're missing so much other stuff just because you don't deign it as like, it's not a chart success. It's not a commercial like amazing thing. It's not Squid Game, so we can't talk about it. And I, but I wonder too how much of that is just because it's not getting it's not getting pushed though. And so mm -hmm. so you have like so in Korea they've got this um, uh, long running show called Show Me the Money. I don't know if it gets mm -hmm. translated or you know put on Japanese TV, but it's like a hip hop sort of um, competition show right mm -hmm. and every year there's always like some big hit from show me the money last year it was the song called vvs like this team i'm blessed this year um, the song popped off called breathe Summer 
박신할 반격 쉴만한 물가에서 비퍼만 수금으로 반격 yeah. 이제 그냥 켜봐라 TV만 술산인데 Now you see me 거기서 외칠만한 거 하나 다른 거 없자마자만 하나님의 사랑 그저 편히 쉴 너와 나의 목소리 높여서 수은 내실은 Just one more time 한번더 준비 I'm ready 숨을 크게 들이쉬고 나서 let it burn let it burn I'ma show you how I did it y'all and um you know it's a huge hit domestically in korea but there'd be zero international coverage of it because you know it's not it's a domestic hit for the domestic market it's not being exported people that are writing about this stuff and and you know maybe this is just a a journalism thing but the there's no incentive to to dive deeper and say like well you know what is this song that's topping the melon charts because they can just write another article about bds and blackpink and get a billion clicks and like call it a day yeah that's definitely part of it i guess that's not really a new development per se there's no, always no. there's always like i guess the the fair thing to extend to english language media is just it is really hard to follow these scenes if you're not kind of actively pursuing it yeah um and yeah, you could argue the sort of like payoff isn't really worth it. But. Right. Like who's going to read an article? Like who is going to care except for, you know, people like me about an article yeah. on Show Me the Money? Like the the potential audience for that in English is pretty small. So yeah, so like I do get it. But, but then I think what frustrates me is that the narrative is then set that mm, BTS yeah, yeah. is like the biggest thing ever when, you know, you actually sort of scratch the surface you look down and you're like well they don't really have much of a domestic presence how big are they really well that's interesting i guess for me and this maybe is just kind of like being maybe sort of older than many of like the i don't know this is me always thinking i've just become too old uh, like, <laughs> join the club <laughs> just, i think what bumps me out about it is like i think it's great that you know k-pop for example, gets all this, you know, people talk about it. I think it's great that's in the sort of general air. Um, and in the same way that I think it's great that, like, uh, anime has actually sort of ascended being, like, a total, like, dweeb endeavor. Like, I think it's great that it's taken a little more seriously. But at the same time, I always feel like with media in particular, everyone, like, there's just no curiosity from the media anymore. And that bums me out especially because I think listeners are actually more curious than ever because they have such easy access to it. Yeah, that's a good point. And I, you know, I was thinking about this the other day that like, you know, when you do read people trying to kind of figure out what the heck is going on, um, especially, you know, in English, um, the point of reference is I feel like they don't have they don't have the context for it so they have all this easy access to all this stuff but then they try to make sense of it through sort of a, an American or you know British or whatever framework and so you see a group like um, you know AKB48 and they'll try to put it in the context of like a Spice Girls rather than going back to like, you know, the Nyanko Club or like Candies. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like they don't have the the foundation to to really make good sense of it. Yeah, for sure. This this feels like a, a space to play an AKB forty eight song. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> 
Oh yeah, any uh, any requests? I've um, I've always been partial to flying get. Flying, oh, flying get, get. Flying was. Let's go flying get. Yeah, that's a. Uh, when did that come out? Is that ten years now? It has to be maybe a little, maybe a little more even. I oh, know 2012. So we're approaching, we're approaching the 10 year anniversary. KB48 songs I like. Flying Get, Heavy Rotation, I've heard so many times that I think I've just been forced to like it. <laughs> yeah, it's Stockholm Syndrome of Heavy Rotation. It is Stockholm Syndrome. I feel like I've even done it at karaoke. Well, that's why it's so, I remember that's where like, I was living in like the countryside when Heavy Rotation came out. Um, and I went to karaoke once and yeah, like, like up to that point whenever i'd heard heavy rotation i was like what is like this sucks i hate this <laughs> and then that was like 22 year old me like, like oh j-pop it's not perfume i can't like it but i remember at karaoke doing it and it was like oh this is rules you're just screaming at the screen when you get to that chorus i want you You're like, okay, cool. I see why this succeeded and why this yeah. was one of the like AKB songs that did become a mainstream hit. But the um the the karaoke song I've always found really fascinating. The karaoke room hit is Golden Bombers Mimishte. <laughs> that song absolutely rules. I've sung it at karaoke like a billion times i love it um that's one i think is like the real like indie hit that became like a mainstream hit 
Oh, yeah. I don't think you, yeah, like that's, I guess, the equivalent of like an auto would have been like Golden Bomber. I think we're hitting at one of the things that always gets overlooked when talking about J pop, which is how much of it is built for karaoke. And like, I kind of think that sometimes, you know, I think you should be able to assess music outside of those con, like, if it sounds good, it's good. But at the same time, like, so much of this stuff is built for karaoke. It's like, it will surprise you how many, like, something you hated a week before suddenly becomes incredible because it's just amazing to belt after like two strong zeros <laughs> in a shidak somewhere on the west side of Tokyo. so much um yeah <laughs> the desire to sing like Usei want like at karaoke is very strong i have to say um but yeah that's that's one of the things i've i've always been you know very like heavy on and just everything that i've done to trying to explain like one of the big differences in j-pop like especially today because you know going back like that didn't it wasn't always the case a lot of the kayo kyoku and the the inca stuff like that wasn't necessarily meant to be sung um but it definitely has become become that you know over the years as karaoke has really become like a huge leisure market and i think that you know looking at the karaoke charts is a good way to kind of track what's popular more than looking at like singles single sales charts it's definitely something that has to be in part of the conversation for sure which goes back to sort of just how much akb48 is everything because now (laughs) i think it's true for the western pop charts and sort of signifiers of popularity as well it's like you have to look at like eight different things at least to even try to divine a single narrative and even then it's kind of a fool's errand yeah you can't do it i mean this is just as a librarian i always come down to like you know you have to get your definition straight like what do you mean by popular like what do you mean exactly by by mainstream like what are the criteria here and um when i say something is popular or mainstream you know i kind of mean that it's broadly known by a lot of people even if you know they don't necessarily like it or like the group or like know all the words but if you can kind of hum it to me that's a hit if sort of the average person on the street can hum it or kind of knows the chorus to me that's a mainstream hit yeah i think that's a fair and that's where it gets complicated because then it's also kind of like a feel that you have to apply like this feels like something that's everywhere yeah yeah this is why everything becomes a mess and that's what i found so interesting not to take this all back to butter i can't believe it's about butter again yeah no i because i i do i find this the whole butter phenomenon fascinating because i've i had been frustrated with english language cover to bts for years and butter is really fascinating because it's the point at which the coverage of bts flipped from being these like gushing fan journalist narratives to actually serious music journalists um like tom 
<laughs> what is his last name? Brehan? 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 Uh, we'll, we'll fix that later. Yeah, we'll fix that. Fix it in post. Um, in stereo, at, over at Stereo Gum, you know, he wrote that article on it. And then um, David Turner at Penny Fractions, you know, sort of picking up this this narrative like real music journalists and not just like these Koreaboo fans. You know, and, and to me, I think that's a really interesting turning point in like the BTS narrative, um, but also like the K-pop narrative. Because um, one of the things that I've been talking about with sort of my little cohort of um, old lady friends is that K-pop is not cool in America. Like BTS oh, and K-pop. Oh my goodness. You I'm gonna... hit on something that I've never <laughs> said publicly, but like... <laughs> right it's it's not like, cool it's dorky and um i've been because i have been to k-pop shows yeah and I, so you know and i see the kids there and like they're dorks and you know that's great like i was a dork when i was in high school um you know listening to pizzicato five like it's it's fine but um like that <laughs> like it's not cool and i think that um you know if i think this sort of burst of interest in k-pop is gonna die out unless something happens to make it cool because i mean just look at cool japan which at a certain point was really and no longer cool i will say this um to sort of maybe this is deploying an airbag but 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 um so what i want to see though is 10 years down the line if k-pop kind of becomes like anime which I actually think is the closest comparison as a sort of soft power global export for South Korea, um, for K-pop, I should say. Um, In that it's, I do think it's a very like strong community. It's just not necessarily something that's, you know, like you said, it's not something that's like at the center of, let's say, American pop culture. It's not something people who you would call i don't know like who's the coolest person who likes k-pop but that's the thing is like 10 years ago you could say that there were tastemakers like um, you know like missy elliott like yeah like missy elliott collabing with like g-dragon like that was cool um and yeah and even now i think g-dragon is still pretty cool like globally like but you know yeah like i mean come on like who yet Coldplay like there's no cachet there with Coldplay I do think this is actually one of the things that K-pop the industry has done well is they're not too concerned about that and to them it's all about like who's gonna get us the most visibility that's why like when I think you know when I think about BTS lots of things come to mind but I one of the things that creeps into the picture is James Corden and just being like exactly (laughs) right like it's not a cool like no he's so cringe he's so cringe or like i also think how like i remember this being announced aespa the metaverse girl from sm they'll perform at the macy's day thanksgiving parade (laughs) and it's just like this doesn't match with anything like this But that's also how they're able to kind of reach people. Because I'm sure, yeah. like, the, the assorted grandmas and kids off from school who will be watching that, like, they'll see that. And it will it will stick with them. Like, what's, a, what's the flat? What's the black mamba? I must find out. I mean, that is my, my little nieces. These are the people that are clamoring for butter is the under five set. 
you know, which is fine. Um, But it's not, it's not necessarily, you know, creating new musical trends or doing anything really interesting. Um, But, you know, my two-year-old niece really likes it. So there is some value there. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, there's nothing. We're not. Look, cool. Coolness is a silly concept, yeah. <laughs> but it also is something that you can talk about. Right. But yeah. but I do think what it'll come down to is if we'll take your your niece, your the the kids around their age, like yeah. when they're kind of coming of age and maybe they're sort of creating their own art, they're sort of creating their own uh, aesthetic, if you will, mm. based off of things probably from the past, which is just how everything goes. Like, will K-pop be part of that in the same way that there's just so many rappers right now who love Dragon Ball? There's so many Sailor Moon references in, like, contemporary pop, like Dua Lipa, like, winking to it. Aespa winking to it. Like, K-pop is into that, too. Like, if K-pop can achieve something down the line where, like, a generation of armies start creating their own cool thing, and K-pop is one of the elements one of the building blocks of that, that I think could maybe justify it in the long run. That would be interesting. That's the thing I, I yeah, think to I keep don't know. Because that's real coolness. Like, like when something, because things that are big aren't cool, right? That's coolness no, is about not, being yeah. just under the radar. Yeah. So like, when it is past that prime, like, it's sort of like, you know, the visibility we're seeing right now. It's like, oh, who's going to actually take the lessons from BTS or Blackpink and be like, I really liked the video that Blackpink did with the freaking glass tank or whatever it was. I'm going to like take that into my worldview, my art world. Like that's the thing I think to keep an eye on when kind of thinking about K-pop, because that'll be the real, what defines its legacy. Yeah, that would be interesting. And, you know, I'm trying to think, genuinely shitty music that later on kind of developed something and you know i always go back to the bay city rollers um when talking about uh, bts because um like the bay city rollers were massive i mean absolutely massive um they were like global like roller mania was a, a real phenomenon like but that that music itself was really terrible did not age well and I don't think I don't think most people could sing a Bay City Roller song if you ask them but uh it did kind of form some of that stuff did end up going into um like punk mm-hmm. oddly enough and um yeah, yeah. yeah so yeah I, I don't know that's a really interesting thing I yeah yeah like the sort of the the basic rollers to punk pipeline, like, is, is there going to be a BTS to some new genre pipeline where the shitty music is turned into something kind of um, cool? Yeah, yeah. It'll be interesting to see because we're not there yet. Like, right. And, and I we're think also very, old, so, you well, know. We should put a huge <laughs> asterisk. At the, like, we should put it like, like a warning to our <laughs> listeners, like... That what you're about to hear is from people who like we started talking about Pizzy Cut Off Yeah, so I'm someone who purchased, who read about Phantasma like in a print publication and then went to drove 
to my local borders and purchased it on CD. So yeah, anyone <laughs> under the age of 23 didn't understand a single word in that <laughs> sentence. Actually, it was like a high frequency that only certain animals can hear. <laughs> so yeah, so that's where that is where I'm coming from. There's actually something sort of like parallel to that, that to be honest, actually bugs me more about the direction that mostly K-pop and K-pop journalism, but it's actually true of all, you could argue it's true of all forms of entertainment journalism, which is when we're talking about the influence of K-pop, you know, right now, like, I don't think there's anything that's quote unquote sounds like K-pop that's coming from America or the UK or South America. Um, it could down the line, who knows, but like, that's not interesting right now. Whereas we have an entire continent that happens to have the most people in the world, um, where K-pop actually has had a massive impact on how pop culture is developed, how music sounds, how music videos look, how fashion looks like the like K-pop has actually had massive influence on Asia um just like it's kind of undeniable and i think that's always been the most interesting story but at some point in the last few years and i think you maybe kind of touched maybe hinted at this like everyone decided that you know it's not about presenting in this case asia as like an alternative or a worthy competitor to the united states to western music like it became like okay, so how can K-pop be like the biggest thing in America? Yeah. Like, how, oh yeah. It's win a Grammy, and it's like, yeah, I think a lot of problems stem from everyone pivoting to that. Oh my <laughs> god, this yeah, this drives me crazy. I feel like I have some posts on it somewhere. Um, probably I, I may have deleted them after getting attacked by BTS fans. But um, yeah, and and this is really frustrating because yeah, one of the points I always go back to is um. So there's been this boom of BTS fans among like 
um, English speaking um, uh, Indian Indian girls, basically, and, and women, right? And um, and so you'll see these uh, you'll see these like tweets and whatever, like from sort of these teens in like Bombay and um, Delhi like very excited about BTS like BTS number one on Spotify K-pop uh K-pop's taking over India but I remember you know 10-15 years ago if you go you know you can find these articles um about the Hallyu wave like coming to like northeastern um India in like these sort of regions that are much more East Asian adjacent um where the culture is a lot more similar and you know, to to what you'd find in you know, places like where they're adjacent to like Mongolia and China. And, and so it's frustrating to see all of that just sort of, it doesn't count. And then, you know, and certainly in Southeast Asia, um, Taiwan, you know, all these places like that, uh, where, yeah, there has been this huge, uh, it, this huge sort of how you wave. And um, one of the things that I found kind of interesting, you know, speaking of like Korea and k-pop and the culture industry there is for decades you know for 60 years since post-world war ii probably even before world war ii really but you know if you wanted to spread something around asia like sort of the and like the asian diaspora you would go through tokyo like when Teresa tang um you know Teresa tang came from taiwan went to hong kong and then ended up in tokyo and Mm -hmm. and that is you know when you wanted to spread culture throughout Asia, you go to Tokyo. And I think what's happening now is that Korea is wants it so that you want to go through Seoul to, to spread things around. Because even 10 years ago, Big Bang, Shiny, Girls' Generation, 21, Kara, they went to Tokyo, Mm -hmm. you know, and to, I, I feel like you want to spread around Asia, you go to Tokyo. And now I think more and more, you really you want to go to Seoul, and mm-hmm. I think you're really starting to see kind of that tension play out. Yeah, it's definitely. I don't know. Uh, hopefully, for your sanity, you didn't follow it. Did you follow the TV show Girls Planet Nine Nine Nine? Oh God, no! <laughs> <laughs> I only have so much time. I've you been had like a better summer than me. Then, <laughs> so congrats. Uh-huh. <laughs> But that that show um, presented by Mnet, uh, mm. everyone's favorite Korean music channel. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the idea there was for anyone who didn't watch it and based on ratings, not many people did. They had 99 contestants and there were 33 from Japan, 33 from Korea, 33 from China. And the idea here was they're going to create an quote unquote international girl group that would be some sort of Asian powerhouse. And it was an interesting look for especially the first half of the season at how k-pop at least presents itself and i would argue kind of is at this point the center of asian pop music in asia and like how if you want to become a truly successful act you do want to go through the k-pop system at least for right now and in truly hilarious fashion the end result was a total disaster and like you don't do you know the results of that show? No, no. I I I the competition <laughs> shows so I feel like I don't have enough time to yeah, to follow those. But um yeah, the it's always fascinating. I mean those groups do really well, at least the boy ones do like one oh one and X one were like massive. 
Yeah, yeah. So, but that was to me the most direct way that uh, at least some areas of the Korean entertainment industry were kind of flexing that ability. Though, in all honesty, they're actually being far more active in J-pop these days with groups like Nijiyu, JO1. Yeah, yeah. They just have the new one, I want to say Ini. Um, maybe it's oh. pronounced Yeah, I'm not sure. Yeah, I've seen, I haven't seen or heard them, but like I, I've seen the name around. But yeah, uh, Nijiyu, like, I mean, they're doing pretty well, I think. I mean, those songs are really catchy anyway. <laughs> interesting to see k-pop companies like jyp in the case of niji u uh cjnem i think that's what they're calling themselves yeah now. that yeah that's like the a big one yeah. yeah yeah they're the ones behind in partnership with yoshimoto here in japan jo1 who are doing pretty well like it's interesting to see i know um the artist the label formerly known as big hit hybe is trying to do more here too and it's interesting to see them trying to play that more ever-present role in the world of J-pop and see what they imagine a J-pop group as put together by a Korean agency slash company can be. Yeah, I I don't know. I've kind of been following that with interest um, just because of the way they've tried to push um, TXT <laughs> and whenever I've, I don't know, and what's the other one, in hyphen... And hyphen, oh, and hyphen, like that. Yeah. and hyphen, yeah. Um, and neither of those groups really, I don't know, they don't seem to be doing much of anything. And I'm like, you know, when you have like a domestic boy group powerhouse like Johnny's, you know, what are you offering? What are you offering Japanese idol consumers that's different from that that would be worth? Because these kids, they don't speak Japanese. Like, their speaking ability is really poor. Um, They're not, like, the songs, they're okay. But, you know, what are you offering people that's different from what you could get from, like, a Stones or a Snowman? Um, I mean, I feel like Big Hit slash Hybe has not answered that question. It's interesting to look at the place of of K-pop, especially K-pop boy groups right now in Japan. Because I mean, BTS is is like they have legit managed it, and it's funny, you know, going back to talk about how like you know, butter doesn't feel like this in the air kind of song in America necessarily. Whereas like in Japan, it actually is, which is funny. Like here, the everyone just was like, yeah, we're all in on butter. <laughs> like you'll hear it on the TV news, like the morning shows. Like yeah. they do it like every other day. Like they'll have celebrities just dance to it. Here, it's a real, it's a real 
thing. Um, so whereas text, yeah, go for it. Yeah. Okay. So with with the Japanese fascination with dynamite last year and now butter. Mm-hmm. Now my impression, just as someone who's been in this world a long time, is that that part of the cachet for those songs is that they were alleged hits in America and they have that sort of American gloss to them. They aren't K-pop hits. Really? It's more like, you know, uh, I feel like the American gloss is a lot more present than sort of the K-pop thing. Because, I mean, BTS has been around. I mean, they had, uh, what was it, DNA in like mm-hmm. 2017. They were on like Music Station Super Live. Yeah, but yeah. Um, that wasn't, that was a much more of a K-pop song. And um, I don't know, something to me like, I mean, Dynamite and Butter were both written by and for, you know, Americans. Mm-hmm. And they just feel like much more American songs. I, I don't know. I feel like that's a much more compelling, compelling thing than sort of the k-pop angle with those songs in particular especially with dynamite it is the fact it went to number one on billboard that gave it sort of an extra like like because it went to number one like almost immediately right like the week after it came out maybe two weeks yeah, I forget the exact. yeah yeah i think it was the week of it came out it was number one i mean it was solely on the backs of fans mass purchasing and mass streaming but you know they did it it could be baby uh, yeah <laughs> <laughs> But well, yeah, yeah, but that definitely was kind of the was one of the bigger hooks for it. Um, I would say the other thing, and it kind of reflects again, kind of pandemic life. Like it did quickly become like a viral thing on TikTok in Japan, um, just because you know teens in particular, I think, are always just looking for a new. This sounds so cynical, but it's just saying what it is. Like people are always just looking for new content to do their oh, thing yeah. to. Yeah, sure. Why not? Uh, which is you great. Know. It's great. Yeah. yeah. That's fine. That's just, that's, hey, look, I watched YTMND when I was a teenager. It's fine. <laughs> and yeah, like I think the, the ability of it to become a really fast TikTok hit in Japan, more so than any of the songs that came before it from BTS. Yeah. I keep going back to like that line boy group survey. I don't, did you see that? The, it was I'm trying to remember. Yeah, it was like last month, but they did um a survey. They've done it the last couple of years. Like they um they've polled like something like sixty thousand line users um about boy groups and like if they had a favorite, who is it? And um mm-hmm. kind of broke down the results. And what I found interesting um looking at them is like the last maybe two or three, you know, that they did it. You know, Arashi, of course, number one, um, was something like, you know, 25% of the overall vote, right? Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, then you'd go down and depending on the year, it would be like Big Bang or um, uh, Tokyo is a perennial favorite. But this year, the biggest one, BTS, obviously, but the percentage of votes was comparatively small and mm-hmm. the highest the highest uh, percentage of votes, you know, looking at data was like none in particular. Oh, was the number one favorite boy group. No <laughs> one in particular. And in BTS is like the overall percentage of the vote that they got was something like, I mean, it was definitely under 10. It might've even been like 7% mm-hmm. of, of respondents. If they had a favorite, their favorite was BTS. And to me, that's, 
that is kind of sad. And um, they this year they included a little section was like, if you would like to see a boy group be active again, who would it be? And um, yeah, RSG number one, SMAP number two, number three, Checkers. You know, oh Fudifubia, still wow, okay. incredibly hot at like 50 something. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm just going to go on record. Fudifubia, Fudifubia Daisuke. It's my, it's my podcast. Uh, he's a mannequin, but he's a very hot one. But yeah, like, you know, the fact that more people said that they would like to see checkers be active again than said that they had a favorite boy group and that it was BTS. I mean, to me, that just says, you know, like, how deep does this really go? You know, Dynamite and Butter, their pandemic trends, great. You know, people are going to look back fondly on those songs, but, you know, is there anything really there? This is the first time I've truly understood the Japanese aging issue, the aging population crisis. People are just going to want some checkers. <laughs> The thing I have been thinking a lot about recently, especially in the past six months, is kind of what's next for, I mean, I'm always thinking about like J-pop, what's next? But with boy groups in particular, especially with Johnny's, I've been trying to trying to like just figure out what they're doing because they finally opened up. They're finally like yes, yeah. Well, I'm a Johnny's Wuta, so let's let's get into it. Like I could I could talk about Johnny's all day. It's yeah. Those last few years have been pretty interesting. But yeah, what what yeah? What do you see? And you kind of hit on it when you mentioned Stones and like uh, you know Snowman comes to mind as well as another kind of like really buzzy one. Um, just like is how does Johnny's adapt to kind of like the 2020s? both in terms of as you just like going over that survey it's kind of like there is an opening there's a gap Mm -hmm. where like there's no obviously pop culture is far more fragmented than it ever has been before it's going to be nigh impossible to have an arashi or smop ever again but like how do you kind of adjust to that reality then and like can johnny's which like a year and a half ago was operating like it was 2006 eternally as a company can they really adapt to it like really quickly and actually find an answer and then of course there's the other angle which is like can they maybe go overseas in some capacity something that they always avoided when uh johnny kitagawa was kind of in charge and wasn't particularly like engaged with that I mean, yes and no, because, I mean, Johnny Kitagawa was an America boo. I mean, for sure. And you see him through the years. I mean, he tried to bring the Johnnies to America in the mm. 60s. He tried to bring Shonen Tai to America in the 80s. He tried to bring Arashi to America in the 90s. Mm. You know, um, he had, you know, then, um, I don't know if you remember, Akanishi Jin had uh-huh. a... Uh, a collab with um, Jason Derulo in like 2013. You know, he tried to bring Jin to America, and 
none of it ever worked for, you know, for various reasons. But um, I think, and then oh, you did have Johnny's um, in the early 2000s, um, you know, especially Taiwan, right? Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, there were moves in that direction, but I think what, what we're seeing now is um, Takizawa uh, Hideaki, right? And yeah. he has always, I think, had more of a, an Asian perspective and he's not as interested in America. Um, and so he, I mean, I guess since like 2015, maybe 2014, but he was bringing his um, Takisawa Kabuki to Singapore, right? Mm-hmm. Not to Vegas or New York or LA, Singapore. I think that what you're seeing now with a group like Snowman, where they have a half tie member Makai Koji is half Thai right and they've gone right before the pandemic hit they were actually set to do a Southeast Asian like little like mini <clears throat> promotional spree and they um they went on Thai television Makai Koji could speak Thai to the uh, TV hosts right and this is actually um I mean this is a k-pop this is is the k-pop model this is what 2 p.m um jyp like a group like 2 p.m got seven you know you have the southeast asian member and then you can you know have a little bit more easy opening to the southeast asian market and i think that that a group like snowman in particular is really the the direction that if there was a group that was going to go kind of outside of japan it would be a group like snowman where they do these they're very visually catchy Mm -hmm. um dance heavy numbers (sighs) I don't know. Like, it's very easy to pick up, dance along to. Um, they just, the, uh, uh, their version of um, the Takizawa Kabuki film that they did is on Netflix now. So I think that, that if there is, like, this is kind of the group that they're kind of betting on to be kind of the, the future is Snowman, which, I mean, I, I really like Snowman. I've been following them for years and years since they were juniors. But um, yeah, I'm. I mean, I'm for it. But yeah, it's, they're kind of, I think, following a little bit of that that K-pop template, but mm-hmm. um, very cautiously, and very kind of slowly. Snowman is kind of the one that jumps out because I do know they have been having that sort of Asia success. And as you mentioned, yeah, Johnny's has had plenty of that. You know, they've put on shows throughout Asia. So that is a very good point. Yeah, I mean, Arashi played in Seoul, I think, in 2000. It was like a, a, a music festival, like 2008. Maybe you can find the the footage. I mean, so they're, you know, they, they did go out, but they weren't exported really i guess maybe that's the key thing for me that i'm thinking about just because you mentioned kind of the sort of the ventures into america 
I think the key is they were never really like super serious. Um, yeah. And what I've heard is it's just because, yeah, you know, Johnny Kitagawa, as you mentioned, big time America fan, grew up in yeah. America, but yeah. also kind of having bad experiences in America due to, I think, internment uh, during World War Two. So, like, I think he always had sort of like, a you know, oh, an Asian pop group will never be super accepted in sort of the pop mainstream mm. because he had. He just had he grew up during like a time where it was very clear there was like Asian, super Asian racism. Yeah, I mean, I mean, you just look to it like um, there's that great documentary on X Japan where um, you know Yoshiki talks about trying to come over to America, you know, and sort of the barriers they faced. You know, the, these are they, you know the time before you could easily translate stuff, um, and there was these easy distribution channels online of. Um, translations and subtitles and um you know people like me translating articles and um you just didn't have that and i just it made it that much more difficult i think mm-hmm. uh shonen tai went on i think merv griffin show and oh. it's one of the most awkward pieces of television i've ever seen <laughs> oh and even going further back you had um pink lady pink oh, lady had that um pink variety lady. show Pink yeah. Lady and Jeff. And, you know, there just wasn't the, it just wasn't there, like the easy subtitles and the easy, uh, easy interactions. They just were, it's just so awkward. And, um, yeah, I think now I think a lot of that has changed because of these translations. It's a lot easier to do now. Yeah. And I guess it's seeing if Johnny's and really this is speaking of all Japanese music as sort of they realize that one the means of reaching listeners through digital and streaming platforms is more like within their grasp but also just realizing that like yeah it has changed and I do think they are realizing that and I'm just curious to see how they'll approach it I don't know if you've written I'm sure you've written on this before but I mean the Johnny sound right you know, as those last kind of years as like Johnny Kitagawa was clinging to uh, power, I mean, it was very dated, like very dated. And um, so like, you know, I think fans liked those songs kind of as fans, but you did have these, I mean, a guy like, um, uh, oh, what's his face? Makai no Koji was still writing for like Arashi and SMAP and Sexy Zone, like into the 2010s, right? <laughs> like he wrote yeah, for he wrote for groups in the 70s, and here he is writing in the 2010s. And you know, um, I mean, I like those songs just fine, but it's not pushing any boundaries. It's not um, it's not the music of the youth. You know, it's uh, music for for old ladies, uh, which is yeah. great. Like old ladies no, need again, music too. Kishimeyo 
starting to see kind of these more, um, you know, a little more interesting songs like musically coming from Johnny's, um, like, uh, sexy zone had that great single, uh, earlier this year. Was it earlier this year? Was it last year? Was you it? know which one I'm talking about? I'm trying to remember. I don't know. I'm blanking the name, but I'll just put it in here. I think we, to, we should play next here. to you. Next to you. That's it. Yeah, next to you. Right I did like you. about that because it completely caught me off guard. It's a great tune. Um, yeah, like yeah. a total two-step. <laughs> <laughs> so like so many times, so many places. Living a life feeling amazing. No, no, this is not just one night So believe me, they believe me That's a promise, huh. I'm never gonna find another you This lifetime yeah. If you give me a chance I give you my own You need to know that I never ever treat you that way Johnny's, of course, is always kind of like uh, brought in sort of like trendy producers and writers, you know, Pizzicato 5 have written Johnny's songs. You know, you know who was really good at that? And I, I am one of those people that would have voted for SMAP as like, I want them to be active again. But those last years of SMAP, I mean, they, they worked with, um, um, the guy from uh, Gesu no Kiwami Otome, like they brought really? in like every Shina Ringo, like they brought in all these people um, and those sort of last kind of glorious singles that I purchased on CD, ordered directly from Japan. <laughs> Johnny's thanks you for that support. Yeah. <laughs> but even because, um, you know, sticking with, was it, was it, sec- yeah, it was Sexy Zone. Sexy I think Zone. it was the last album from last year just had so many interesting like electronic artists mm. who you know they aren't at a point where they're like oh cool you're popular so you should obviously be writing for johnny's it was more like okay you kind of have this cool space yeah and they're kind of like so how about you write something that actually sounds cool for us instead of you know write us a johnny song yeah which i mean i love a johnny song i don't and i don't want i don't want to give people the impression that i that i don't because i do but on the other hand, like, you know, there's, there's music that fans like, and then there's music that is interesting just on its own merits. And I think Johnny's in, especially like towards kind of like the 2010s sort of the end of the Johnny Kitagawa years leaned way too heavily into music for fans and not music for kind of everybody. It's about balance. It's a good way to yeah, look at it. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah, yeah. Finding that good balance of, um sort of songs that do have that kind of historic resonance to them um, that, you know, you could 
you know the kinky kids maybe could have done it in 2000 um mm-hmm. and but then also something that's a little more trendy because i mean smap i mean not to harp on smap uh as a, as a smap fan but you know that they, they came up in the mid 90s i mean all those shibuya k like bangers like in the mid 90s i mean that was like totally on trend like they were cutting edge um and somewhere along the line, like that kind of fell away. Yeah, I think that's fair. Though it is funny, you mentioned it earlier, like getting Tatsuri Yamashita and Maria Takeuchi to write a song for Arashi, like <laughs> yeah. before there was a city pop boom, yeah. is one of the funny little like, oh, that kind of like old thinking actually mm. works out if you give it enough time. That's a great song too. That's one of my favorites of the, like, the last like the last sort of era of Arashi that's a oh you know but their last their last big single I mean they did it with um what's his face uh Bruno Mars or no 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 that that one was okay but no the um god I can't even it's very very early here um Lemon the Lemon songwriter what's his name oh okay yes yeah 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 and that was a really pretty song too but I do remember Kenshi Onezu yeah working and that's another great example and like Yoasobi has the producer half of that group has started working with Johnny's groups more closely. Great. Like, you know, that's great yeah, for Johnny's. It is. It's good to sort of be on, you know, trend and sort of like, yeah, go from there. So, yeah, for looking forward. And I think, you know, part of the problem having these sort of traditions and, the, you know, when you have the head of your companies, like in his 90s, making artistic decisions, like there's, there's obviously going to become some some nostalgia and looking backwards um, that's going on there. (laughs) Whereas opposed to you've got like Takizawa in there now, who's, you know, comparatively young guy and who's very engaged in sort of um, pop culture now. And I mean, he, he was getting or trying to push Johnny's online like way before, way before um, this. So I, you know, I'm, I'm hopeful for Johnny's. I'm a Johnny's fan. I like Johnny's. As a, as a Johnny's fan, I think you'll be happy to know, just based on things I've heard in the in the air, is yeah, there's a lot of change within the company now. So and how people in the company think. So yeah, I mean, one of the positive things I saw was um, that they're going to stop the practice of keeping these junior trainees sort of on the the, the hook, like for years and years, because I would feel so bad, you know, I'd follow these guys like and then they would you know get into their 20s and um there'd be no hint of debut but it was like maybe but then you know (laughs) it would you know eventually you're kind of like oh god you know you just what are you gonna do you're like 27 and you're still back dancing at concerts like um so i think that's one of the things that i think is a positive change too where they're really gonna make an effort to cut that practice out and um yeah yeah i mean i i i think johnny's has a could have a bright future i'm certainly yeah, supporting yeah. them ordering my cd singles <laughs> again they, they salute you <laughs> and they thank you for your for your continued support <laughs> one of the uh 50, abcz fan club members that's me <laughs> <laughs> What, what do we have left to, to touch on? Maybe the last thing I'd be interesting, uh, interesting, last thing I'd be interested in yeah. going over, and I especially yeah. love to hear your yeah, perspective yeah. on it, is, you know, we're approaching the end of the year. Mm-hmm. So I'm curious, like, looking back on 2021, you know, what do you make of J-pop? What do you think this year was like for the industry in general? Like, what 
even just like what stood out to you as someone observing this from like the other side of the world, really? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, for me, because I mean, I engage mostly via like um, uh, music shows. I mean, I watch Music Station. I'll watch like the big like F- FNS Kyosai and, um, you know, all the like Ongaku no Hi, like those big music shows mm-hmm. and um i don't know if I, I anything really stood out to me i mean i think yeah i don't know it just felt like kind of the the big excitement was these songs like you know usewa or um the uh the nostalgia acts like mm-hmm. you know like that first take i mean they had on i mean some of the the great ones were like gohiromi you know, and, and my yeah. favorite, my favorite guy, like Fujifumiya. And, um, you know, when, when the big kind of act is, um, oh, what's his face from, um, Elephant Kashimashi, um, ah, oh, so yeah, uh, you know who I'm talking about. I know who um, you're talking about. I always have to like, like double check names. So yeah. I <laughs> oh, I know. I'm the same way. I hate getting things wrong, but, um, yeah, like, so when he, like his new CD is like a big thing, like, you know, it's great. But on the other hand, like, I, I don't know I just the, I didn't feel a lot of buzz especially from like Idol World I, I don't know there wasn't really like a big standout to me like like the big hits I think or the big songs were all kind of these sort of online songs like that um, oh, the girl who did like that Paketo uh, like the <laughs> Paketo like the CUNY or whatever that song is like it was kind of like trendy like cutesy songs kind of in when you're at the other but they like they're sticky like really sticky songs right right but but it wasn't like i don't know maybe just because everything was online i didn't there was no like real sense of like big momentum or big anything it just was like a bunch of like great like hits to carry around in your phone mm-hmm. that's a good way to put it i felt yeah i felt i think you're hitting on an interesting tension which is whether it's a continued pandemic thing or just, you know, a shift towards, you know, streaming as center of all music distribution in Japan at now, maybe like, yeah, it is weird. There are groups like Yoasobi who haven't been on TV yet, save for Kohaku last year. That was their big yes, debut. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Otto, I know, hasn't been on anything yet. No. Uh-uh. They're going to choose and, when to debut maybe... her. And maybe this is one of the things that, you know, just because my engagement, you know, being in America is via these like, television shows, right? And like YouTube videos and things is that um, one of the things I did notice is that some of these online singers, like they won't show their faces. And so they did like a, like Music Station did a whole interview with, um, I forget who it was, but but she like she was like on the opposite side of like the park and they just like shot her like in long view yeah, yeah, <laughs> and then yeah. there was another one who came on and she just stood behind a screen and like they just didn't show okay. her face and to me like that's very i don't know like it's very it was odd very internet i think is a good way to look yeah, at it it was very yeah. internet and so maybe that's like my takeaway of like 2021 it was a very internet year like you didn't have I mean, even Arashi did their big, I mean, they're known for their massive concerts and like, 
in you know their goodbye felt kind of like a whimper almost just because yeah, yeah, it was yeah. just like in front of no one you didn't have the screaming fans you didn't have the um the buzz of like the live venue you just had you know people streaming and it's a very isolated way i mean i i engage with j-pop this way just because i have to but i don't know it's kind of sad that everyone else has to too so i'm i mean yeah i'm hoping it's just a blip and that 2022 we'll see everyone back out at the live houses and you know hopefully i will get to return to the ufo club but um, hey, fingers crossed Koenji needs yeah Koenji, yeah <laughs> <laughs> i'll get my drink tickets and Koenji, but um yeah i i don't know i don't know because you know i think a lot about last year 2020 you know with kind of the first year of covid Everything felt, this sounds weird, but I think it's accurate. Everything felt novel. And like a lot of what was happening in J-pop last year felt like actually a significant change, whether it was Yoasobi debuting or breaking through, I should say, whether it was Nijiyu debuting and kind of offering this new perspective. And just even the, the idea of TikTok being like a true engine of popularity like everything last year felt really like, ooh, is this like the pivot point for J-pop? Like, is this a new generation of J-pop? You could even be dramatic and say, I probably wrote that somewhere. It's just kind of the same trends as last year, but like everything's just dragged on more. And part of it, I actually think is in Japan, at least the pandemic was actually worse this year than last year in the sense that like we've been in, like we were in a state of emergency for like the entire year until last month. Well, you had the Olympics too, and I—I I mean, I remember that God, that That's news the story. That's oh, oh, well, the um, when the it was like two British guys and two American guys got arrested for coke, like out at um some club. Remember that news story? Everyone was so outraged, like, what? I've been locked down, and these foreigners are like doing coke, <laughs> like in real punky, <laughs> like what? <laughs> <laughs> this year was way more like i think the attitude this year in just japan was way like less i don't know it was terrible it was it was it sucks <laughs> like in terms of just the atmosphere of being somewhere 2021 yeah. just really kind of stunk in japan um so i kind of feel like that carried over and like i also just feel the music industry was kind of more halted this year whereas last year I think they had enough that they could still put out this year it really was like limbo for them yeah yeah and I think it's reflected in how it doesn't really feel like anything has momentum yeah because I mean there was no like what was the big album because last year it was um Yunizu um yeah, 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 his album was massive. I mean, I bought a copy. Um, it's a great album, but like, yeah, well, there was no big album this year, really. Um, no, there definitely was no like big original album. <laughs> yeah, this full circle. Uh, I think it was the BTS best of album they put out. That's yeah, like, but I mean, come on, like, like it's but, a yeah, best of album. On, yeah, it's like saying Dreams Come True is the most important artist. Yeah, like, <laughs> eighteen or whatever. <laughs> yeah, like. I mean, yeah, it's, um, yeah, it does. It feels like it's just kind of a vacuum almost. There's not, yeah, like, and so everyone's just kind of on their phones doing TikTok challenges. Right. And, but they're doing like TikTok challenges from last year, but trying to be like, no, yeah. it's still fun. It's still fun. <laughs> <laughs> like yeah. I think the most interesting stuff has been like Usewa and like Otto, just yes. because it kind of feels like, 
like that taken to an extreme of like yeah okay i'm just like pissed off now (laughs) and also i mean that song is like legitimately a banger like i love that song I mean, speaking of things that would probably kill it at karaoke, that's definitely here <laughs> right now. Uh, but kind of yeah. like you said, I'm optim- cautiously optimistic that next year will be kind of like a, things kind of picking up again. I mean, people must just be desperate to go out. I mean, I know I am. It's funny because, you know, the state of emergency here is finally lifted and... You know, I think now you can kind of, you have more, things can stay open later, you know, concerts can kind of happen still. But I think people are still a little slow to it. So I think it's going to take a little bit of a readjustment period. But they just announced kind of the whole, like, um, I guess it's a COVID pass, a COVID vaccine passport, which will be able to allow for concerts to be more, like, closer to full capacity. And that'll be big. We're going to start seeing more significant shows in the coming months. A big one, actually, will be early December when Yoasobi plays uh, Budokan, which will actually be their first like actual live concert period with fans. So how people react to that will be really interesting, Like because that's an act not only linked to the past two years so tightly, but it's like, oh, this is a real chance to finally experience this in a live setting like well you know what i've got my eye on is um big bang are rumored uh to be making a comeback in like early 2022 late 2021 i I mean i think at this point it's probably early 2022 but um i mean i think big bang still have enough name recognition and their music is good enough and they have those good karaoke room songs um i don't know i mean they like you know they uh there is that big gap in the boy group market i don't know i think big bang i think if they come through with a a pretty killer comeback we might see Big, Big Bang, Bang returning to Tokyo Dome because I, I don't know who else is doing those Tokyo with Arashi gone um, I don't know who else is doing the the big Tokyo Dome shows. Oh, who was it before everything was canceled? It was like I think Exile probably could have. Yes, like, Exile. Yeah, Exile. Yeah, because I I God I was um I got caught up in the oh, I was in Fukuoka uh, and I was trying to go to like the Zep Fukuoka venue and there was like a J Soul Brothers show at Yahoo Dome and it was just like me like fighting against a sea of like blue T shirts. I was like, let me throw. <laughs> I mean, I like Jay Soul Brothers, ocean. but I was like, whoa. Right, but you're looking for I'm Zep, just trying to get so to like, Zep. Uh, uh, excuse me. <laughs> I'm... Same as him. Well, I hope you made yeah. it there. Um, got the exactly. <laughs> and... But, you know, I think we'll have a clear, clear picture of where... Of what lessons J-pop has learned from recent history in 2022 and yeah i'm i'm interested to see what happens and like where they go from here yeah yeah it'll be interesting for sure um yeah we'll have to to uh catch up at some point a year from now a year from now (laughs) (laughs) and see what's changed another recap um nothing yeah no state of emergency again what have we done <laughs> no god if i don't get ending. to like 
oh well yeah oh god the twist ending no one wants um yeah well hopefully i'll get to japan 2022 to see all the shows yeah fingers crossed um and uh, yeah we can go sing some karaoke heck yeah it's been literally five years (laughs) since i've done karaoke so really five years yeah i've just been i don't know what happened i think oh my god yeah, I know. I don't even know. Like, that's just, yeah, mistakes. Mistakes were made. Things yeah. were overlooked. Dude, I go, well, I try to go at least once whenever I visit. Um, I th- yeah, so I was, I guess, 20, 2019, last yeah, time I went. As you, as you should. It's, it's a good experience. Oh, it's I so much miss- fun. Ugh. But then, but I do, I do annoy everyone by singing, like, you know, Kate Nishi yeah, you're just broadening their horizons. You're, um, you're the you're the city pop TikTok of the karaoke box. You know, you're being like, like oh, you didn't know this was, was cool. <laughs> the the one Julie fan on the on the North American continent, and I will represent. I do. I that is one of my dreams. So he's he's doing a, a little mini concert tour. I think it's titled "Old Guys Rock" uh, oh. in early 2022, and I was like, "Damn, I want to go see Julie." <laughs> That's the one you got to get to. <laughs> right. That's the one you're going to be willing to take a 10 day quarantine <laughs> yeah. to see. <laughs> so I will stay again, in this hotel room to see the old guys rule. The old guys rule tour. <laughs> 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 oh, okay. Well, I guess on that note, I'll. Uh, well, here's a question. A last yeah, question. Ahead. Um, what is there a song that you think we should end on? What would you like to play out? Ooh, great, great ending point. I think we've talked about it a lot, and since we've reached the ends, uh-huh. end of the episode and the end of the year, really, yeah. you know, let's end with Otto's Otto oh. Usewa as just go. a way to sum up how so many people felt this year. Just wanted yeah. to scream into the void and tell it to go fuck off. Yeah, S O T Y, song of the year, Otto's yeah. Usewa.
継ぎなさい皆がつまみやすいように腰外しなさい体験や注文は精神をキープ分離されて